court to plead my case. And when I showed up early, kind of nervous, fidgety, uh, the door to the courtroom was locked, and everyone was uh, kind of uh, boisterous. You could tell there was a nervous energy. And there were like three bikers who were all there. I don't know what they did. But these guys were pot-bellied, beer-drinking, uh, tattooed, you know, man-bun uh, guys. And very belligerent, boisterous, um, a lot of vibrato. And um, I thought this would be interesting. Here I was, a little innocent 18-year-old in traffic court. And all these hard-driving guys uh, were also there in traffic court. Well, when the door was opened, these boisterous guys turned into little puppy dogs. <laughs> the doors open, and, and they kind of get silent and on their best behavior, and tiptoe in and sit along the back wall. I didn't know any better. I went down and I sat right in the front. And then, and then the bailiff says, all rise. Like this, this sweeping moment of fear filled the room. And everyone rises to their feet. The first guy that was called was one of these uh, bikers. He stammered over every word. He, he you know, you could just, he, he, he went from being this braggadocia, you know, guy that could have taken on the world, so it seemed, to being this little, yes, yes, your honor, yeah, yeah, yes, your honor. Well, when it got to be my turn, I did plead my case, and my uh, case was dismissed. So I did not get a ticket, not that time at least. <laughs> In a small way, that childhood experience encapsulates a verse that we're looking at this morning that is somewhat unique in the Bible. It's Romans chapter 3, verse 19, and it says, So that every mouth may be silenced, and the whole world held accountable to God. In a small way, in that traffic court when I was 18 years old in New Jersey, and was called in on a citation to plead my case, I felt kind of a, a foretaste of this amazing moment when the whole world, every mouth will be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Now what leads up to verse 19 is a courtroom setting when the Apostle Paul brings not one witness against all humanity, one witness would be good, two normally can clinch a case, three witnesses is almost irrefutable, but the Apostle Paul brings seven witnesses against all humanity that leads to this shutting 
of every mouth of every person who ever lived who will appear before the judgment seat of Christ and they will have no excuse. This is one of those ultimate awesome moments in history and it's captured for us here in Romans chapter three. Now these seven witnesses, they're all witnesses that are virtually irrefutable in which we can all see ourselves to some extent or another because they all bear witness to a different facet of our humanity. The first witness speaks to our mental depravity. Verse 10 says, no one understands. Now this is one of those verses that is quoted from the Old Testament in Psalm 14. But it points to mental depravity. You can be potentially an intellectual genius and yet a spiritual imbecile. When it comes to our ability on our own to understand anything accurate about God, no one understands. And this is something, the sooner you and I recognize this, the sooner we can move on. No one understands. It is impossible for anyone, no matter how humanly intelligent a person is, no one can properly understand the nature or being of God. We are intellectually, we are mentally depraved, that is, we are lacking in proper understanding. The second is, ment is motivational depravity. Not only do we lack the ability to uh, cognitively understand God, we lack the ability to choose God. It says in verse 11, no one seeks God. No one, and this includes every one of us and everyone else on earth, no one on their own has the ability to move in God's direction. It says it right here, no one seeks God. But you can say, oh, but I see in myself a desire to seek God. Well, that did not come from you. You need to understand that. The, the, if you desire to seek God, that ability to seek God or that motivation to seek God is itself the gift of God. It's the second witness, motivational depravity. The third is volitional depravity. Not only are we uh, unmotivated to seek God, we are incapable of choosing God. It says in verse 12, all have turned aside, together they have gone wrong. You can make a right choice once in a while, but it is impossible for any of us to overcome every bad choice we're that's set in front of us. We don't have that ability. This comes out later in the book of Romans when we get to chapter seven. 
Chapter seven is where Paul says, I do the things I don't wanna do, and the things that I don't wanna do are the very things that I do. And he says, wretched man that I am, I have learned that there dwells in me no good thing that is in my flesh. Now what that statement is saying from Romans chapter seven is it underscores this indictment in Romans chapter three. It's the third witness against us and it's volitional depravity. We are not capable of making right choices. The fourth is moral depravity. No one does good, not even one. All of this, these one witness after another that stand against our human nature, every one of these witnesses that are called upon all point to the same thing. We're lacking here, we're lacking here, we're lacking here, we're lacking here. And it's summarized when it gets at the conclusion in verse 23, Romans 3:23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We come short of the moral integrity of God. The fifth is one that is extended, and it's verbal depravity. Look at verses 13 and 14. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouths are full of curses and bitterness. Now, these are one indictment after another, but they all come under verbal depravity. It says in James chapter three that Virtually, you can train just about anything to behave, but you can't tame the tongue. You can train a, a, a dog, you can train a, even a cat. You, you can train a fish. Uh, you, you can train, even earthworms have been trained to perform tricks, but you cannot tame the tongue. The, the Bible says that the tongue is a world of evil within itself. And here, it doesn't just say we have bad breath. It says the throat is an open grave. It says the venom of poisonous snakes is hidden under our lips. Just as a, a copperhead or a rattlesnake, when its mouth is closed, the, the fangs are recessed. But the, the, when the mouth is open, the fangs are exposed. And here it's saying that in our humanity, this is true of us. It, it, it's one of the stiffest indictments, and it's the one that Paul reinforces over and over and over again. Quoting Psalm 5, Psalm 10, Psalm 140. Then the sixth indictment. It's social depravity. Verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood. Isaiah 59 verses 7 and 8. We can say, well, I've never murdered anyone. Well, the Bible says that if you mock someone, it's, 
It's in the same ballpark as murder. If you call someone a name or call them a fool or have anger against them in your heart, well, who of us hasn't? Then we're violating the same moral law, and so we fall short of the glory of God. While we may never have carried it out, it was there embedded in our hearts. And so it forms the sixth plank of a witness against our humanity. And the final uh, testimony against our humanity is spiritual depravity. And it comes down in verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Quoting Psalms 36 verse one. And with seven witnesses against us, it concludes by saying, so every mouth is now silenced. Uh, there is silence in the court, and everyone is there being held accountable before God. Now, with that, you may wonder, well, Pastor, this, this is tough. You're really coming down on us this morning. I mean, um, Usually your messages are, are encouraging. Usually um, the, 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 you bring a, a message that, that we can put to use. Well, what are we supposed to do with this? Now, this is so perfect because the Apostle Paul no sooner brings the indictments into the courtroom that he uses like a hinge the argument from the bad news to the good news. From us in our fallen short state to Christ and what he has accomplished. The fact of the matter is, when we accurately understand ourselves, we understand the fact that we are pretty good sinners. We're pretty good sinners. But what we come to now in Romans chapter three is that Jesus Christ is a better savior than you are a sinner. Watch this, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. All have fallen short of the glory of God. But now watch this. In verse 24, we are introduced to three words that anchor the hinge from the bad news to the good news. Three words, and they're all contained in two verses. Verses 24 and 25. The first word is justification. It's page 18 in your journal, and you really ought to mark it. 
justification. Verse 24, it says, And we are justified by his grace as a gift. Now, the word justification in the Greek language that the book of Romans was written in is identical to the word righteousness. To be justified is to be made righteous. What we lacked completely, we find perfectly in Jesus Christ. So Christ is the just and the justifier. Justification is a legal term. Why a legal term? Because we're standing before the judge. We're in a court of law. And the apostle Paul has brought in seven witnesses against our humanity. And now he brings our defense attorney, Jesus Christ, who alone is able to give us what we never had before, and that is righteousness. You see, what we're looking at here in the book of Romans this summer is a Christian manifesto. It's a manifesto that is bringing about a righteous revolution. It's the only hope of a righteous revolution. Christ is the revolutionary. The apostle Paul is his spokesperson. And he brings first the indictment because any revolutionary knows if there's going to be change, there needs to be a sense of disease so that the people will choose change over their current condition. And so Paul has built this case with chapter one, chapter two, and now chapter three to show, hey, we are in trouble. We need a revolution. We need something to change us. I want to say to our younger ones, um, you, you guys, hey, nice to see you. You doing all right? This guy's chilling. Good to see you again. All right. Whoa, whoa, man. All right. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. You guys, sooner or later, will find out that this Christianity thing that you want, it's impossible on your own. Because inside of you, you don't have, apart from Jesus Christ, what it takes. And in God's love for you, he will allow you to discover the depravity within. He will allow you to experience firsthand that inside you, you don't have the ability to even follow Jesus, let alone decide for him, and let alone live for him and serve him. It's not there. But what God does for you is he sent Jesus so that Jesus could give to you what you don't have. And he gives to you the most revolutionary compound 
in history. And that compound is called righteousness. It is the ability to please God. And it doesn't live in you apart from Jesus Christ. It comes from him alone. Now, when you are justified, how? By faith. At that moment, you have peace with God because you who would have been condemned in the courtroom of humanity, now you have a defense attorney, Jesus Christ, who not only is able to give you righteousness, but he served your sentence so that rather than being condemned in court, he is the one who justifies you. It's awesome. It is the, the work of God in Christ. So the first of the three words that we come to here is justification. But then look at the next one. Verse 24, and we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's the second word, redemption. Justification is a legal term. Redemption is really a financial term. And in our culture, we don't have slavery, thank God. But in the culture that did, when a person was found as a slave, they were sold on the auction blocks. People would make a case for their worth, but of course the money that was paid was never equal to their value. And they were sold for workhorses and, and childbearing and, and other hideous things. But this word now, redemption, this is the price that is paid to purchase someone off of the slave blocks and set them free. When we look at the seven indictments against our humanity, we've got these witnesses that come into the courtroom and accuse us of all these things, and accurately so. We could think, well, I have no worth. What is my worth? Our, our worth, now follow this, is so significant. Our worth is not found in ourselves. Our worth is found in the price that Jesus Christ paid to purchase our redemption. Redemption speaks of a financial transaction. And there is nothing that affirms your worth more than the price Jesus Christ paid to set you free. Redemption, through his blood, received as a free gift. Now the next word has the third, the next verse has the third word of the hinge that moves from the bad news to the good news. Verse 24, and we are justified, that's our first word, by his grace as a gift through the redemption, that's the second word, that is in Christ Jesus, 
Now verse 25. Whom God put forward as a propitiation. There's the third word. Propitiation. By his blood to be received by faith. Now, justification is a legal term. Redemption is a financial term. And propitiation is actually an emotional term. Propitiation is the payment made to satisfy the anger of the offender, of, of the offended. Propitiation requires four elements. There's the offender, there's the offense, there's the offended, and there is the payment. On behalf of the offender that satisfies the offended and covers the offense, the payment. And it says here, in him we have propitiation by his blood. The fact of the matter is, God is rightfully displeased with every one of us. There is a just anger of God against our sin. When he sees what we could have been and what we settled for, there is a righteous anger in God that is justly visited against all of our sin. But Jesus Christ said, I will sacrifice myself as a propitiation to take in myself the righteous wrath of God that is visited against all humanity. I will absorb his wrath in my body. And when Christ's blood was shed on the cross, the anger of God was satisfied. And today in Christ we have propitiation. If you think God is angry with you, you do not yet enjoy this word propitiation. It's one of the most fulfilling words in the Bible. Propitiation means because of Jesus, God is not angry. Propitiation. It's taken care of. And when it comes to self-hatred, oh, but I'm so sick of all the things that I've done wrong. No, you don't understand redemption. You may be beating yourself up over your sin and your shame, but I want you to hear this. Jesus Christ is a better Savior than you are a sinner. Hallelujah. Redemption means you are worth 
an incredible price because Christ died for you. Don't live in the past of self-hatred. Cling to the fact that Christ is your redemption. And don't live in guilt and shame when you have one who is offering you redemption and justification. Now, who would want to go to a doctor who would cover up the fact that you're sick? If you're going to go to a doctor, at least go to one that's going to tell you the truth and is going to diagnose your situation accurately. This is one of the things I love about Christianity is that God speaks to us straight. He tells it to us just the way it is. And yet he loves us through and through. He's provided for all of our shortcomings in his son, Jesus Christ. How do you describe this? How can we possibly do justice to even come close to illustrate it? Well, as I was pondering that thought this week, it was Thursday, this news came out that a suburb of Seattle, Washington, a young single mom of three children woke up with smoke inhalation at four o'clock in the morning. Her name, Kayla Johnson. Not only did she live in this small but three-story home, and she was trapped on the second floor, her 20-year-old brother, Derek, also lived with her. He woke up and immediately ran out down the stairs and got out of the house. His sister was holding their two-year-old out the window. He said, go ahead, I'll catch her. And he did. Then the six-year-old, I'll catch her. And he did. But the daughter who was eight was afraid to jump. The mother ran out of the house. And so four of them were out, and the eight-year-old girl, Mercedes, was still trapped on the second floor. The flames were coming through the roof at this point, and it was only a matter of time. But the nephew, the, the uncle, Derek, did the only thing he could do. He ran through the flames, up the stairs, grabbed the eight-year-old in his arms, surveyed the situation, immediately took off his own shirt, wrapped it around her face, and uh, ran down the stairs through the flames so that she would avoid smoke inhalation. But in the process, Derek sustained second and third degree burns over most of his exposed body. And he was interviewed. And he said, if I had it to do all over again, I would do exactly the same thing. I don't even care if it was worse, I would do it again. Now that approximates the kind of love Jesus Christ has for you and for me. Jesus isn't an uncle, he's a big brother. Yes. 
He didn't just take off his shirt. Jesus laid aside access to his deity. And he didn't just get burned with second and third degree burns over his exposed sin. Christ died for you and for me. There's three other words I just want to point out quickly. They're words of response. Verse 22 uses the word faith. Verse 24, the word gift. Verse 25, the word receive. And what I just want to point out is that the three big words that hinge all of history and hinge the book of Romans. Justification, redemption, propitiation. They call for response. And the response in you and me that God is looking for is faith. Faith is when you say, I can't, but God can. Faith is when you move beyond your own abilities and ask God to do what you are unable to do. That's faith. Gift. We're not talking about something you earn. You go to church often enough, you pay enough money, you read your Bible enough, you say enough prayers, you listen to the right kind of music. We're not talking about what we earn or deserve. We're talking about a gift here. And until we recognize that we are unable and that he's able, these gifts are really not going to do us any good. And the third word is receive. Today, I challenge you, receive. Receive. Don't just leave here with a little better understanding of, of our nature and, and God's nature. Receive. Receive justification. Receive Redemption. Receive propitiation. Receive. What we're talking about here is a revolution. We're talking about a transaction. We're talking about a change. Because the revolution of the book of Romans is the greatest revolution going on in history. It's the changing of human lives. One life at a time. One family at a time. One community at a time. You are not going to change yourself. And you're not going to change history. But Christ is. So I exhort us as a church family. I admonish us. I implore us. Cling to your justification in Jesus Christ. Enjoy your redemption in Jesus Christ. And allow the propitiation of God to get under your skin. If God's not angry with you, you need to get over your anger for yourself. If God does not hate you, you need to get over your self-hatred. If God is not condemning you, you need to quit condemning yourself. 
Worship team, come on, let's, let's respond. I want to give us an opportunity this morning to step out, to say, yes, Jesus. And, and I want to just apply this to every one of us. If you are not certain that you are born again, today would you receive justification? Let God give you what you don't have. Let him give you his righteousness. And when he does, you will be called not guilty. The gavel of God will go down and you'll be declared case dismissed. Get that person out of court. I'm no longer condemning him. There's now no condemnation. He, she's been justified. Receive that. But if you've been living in condemnation, if you've been living, beating yourself up, or even feeling like I'm never gonna make this, I'm never gonna be able to do this. First of all, I wanna commend you because you've made a discovery that's significant. You can't do it. It is impossible for you. It's part of the genius that the truth sets us free. When we understand who we are, that we don't have it in ourselves to be able to serve God, to be able to be the man or the woman that, that we want to be, that it's not in us, that's when we begin tapping into Christ so that he can do it in us and through us. been feeling like you're worthless. You're not. You are of infinite value to God. And he proved it to you when his son, Jesus Christ, stepped up and ran into that burning building to pull you out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. Now, I feel not only does this chapter provide a hinge in, in, the, in the development and the logic of the book of Romans, but it, it's a hinge of history. And it's a hinge in your story. If, if you have been standing on the outside or on the fringes, would you today say, I'm in, Lord. I'm in. I take justification. I take redemption. I take your propitiation. I receive your righteousness. Now, I want to encourage you to slip out and come. If, if, if you know Christ, then just come and kneel before the Lord and, and, and drive a stake this morning. Let the Lord have your life from this point forward. And if you're not sure about salvation, I want to encourage you to come down this center aisle or make your way, even if you're on the sides, make your way to the middle because I and there are others of us who would love to pray with you this morning. Let's respond. You feel free to come now. Let's transition this morning. Let's receive what Christ has done for us.